Today, actor Joanna Scanlon joins me to talk about her new role in After Love, a film that throws two very different female characters together. Well, it's a classic kind of blonde brunette, skinny, tall, short, fat, you know, um, dichotomy, French-British. You know, it's, it's all of those in head-on collision. Stay tuned for more from Joanna on Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, I'm your host, Anna Smith. And this week's Girls on Film is a special episode with actor Joanna Scanlon. A versatile British talent, she's put in memorable supporting performances in The Thick of It, Girl with a Pearl Earring, Bridget Jones's Baby, Pincushion and more. Her latest film, which is called After Love, puts her centre stage finally and it's a riveting watch. An impressive debut feature by writer and director Aline Khan, it stars Joanna as Mary Hussein. Mary converted to Islam when she married and is now in her early 60s, living quietly in Dover with her husband Ahmed. Following Ahmed's unexpected death, she finds out that he had a secret life across the channel in Calais. The shocking discovery compels her to go there to find Ahmed's secret girlfriend, Geneviève, played by the French actress Nathalie Richard. Excuse me, oh. Pardon, madame. Um, I'm sorry. I um, You are here for the cleaning? Joanna, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you for having me. This is very lovely to be here. Oh, well, obviously a big fan of your work. I know a lot of our listeners will know you from comedy, such as The Thick of It. And you've also been in some of my favourite dramas, from Notes of a, on a Scandal to Pincushion. What do you look for in dramatic roles? And what was it about After Love that particularly appealed? After Love is, um, when I first came across the, just the script as it's, you know, the, the sort of raw, raw text of it, if you like, um, I just thought it was a page turner. It is, it had a kind of, um, you know, it's very unusual coordinates in this script. They sort of, it's not, it doesn't come out of a box you feel familiar with. So when I was reading it, I was intrigued at every page as to what was going to happen next. Um, And I think that made it, and it had an immediacy it also has subject matter that I think is quite universal, um, but is also through the lens of this particular woman and her situation. Um, so that that's a hard thing to pull off, I think, for a you know f- first time writer director. I think that well, that was really unusual and really strong. So it was it was the raw material, if you like, that I immediately just thought, oh, this is this is really good. Well, I feel that it's very refreshing from a feminist perspective in several ways, but I'd like to hear your take on that. Yes, that's really interesting. Um, 
one of the ways we look at this film and people ask about it often is through the lens of faith, uh, religion and race. And not many people have talked about it in terms of how, what does it what does it say about the condition of women or um, in what way is it expressive of the woman herself? Um, except for people will hone, home in on the fact that there's a scene in which I um, examine my body. Um, and so, so they'll talk about that. And I think that's quite interesting as to what the only way of looking at being a woman is the lens of having an imperfect body because that's what people are interested in they're interested in the fact that my body doesn't fit some idea of beauty um and yet here we are showing it on screen that that's the way that's like oh ooh. and i think that's quite interesting because there's many other aspects to her character but that that's one that's a bit shocking. And I remember many years ago, a friend of mine had a scene in a film and we would have been, she's the same age as me, we would have been maybe in our around 40, late 30s. And she, the, the shot was from behind, this is an Oscar-winning film, this film. It's a shot from her from behind and she had a little bit of tiny, tiny bit of fat that kind of went over the back of her bra strap. Mm -hmm. She's sitting, I think, at a table um, doing her makeup or something. And somebody's saying to me, oh, you know, she's so, so brave to to show her body and, and what it's like to have a nearly 40-year-old body. And I was, I just lodged that and thought, really? Really? I, I, I find it extraordinary that there's a set of um, judgments around the female naked form that is so narrow um, in around the pictorial image of that, but not actually in real life. Because you wouldn't in real life make that judgment. It's just about how it's framed and what you say is acceptable to look at and what is inaccept unacceptable to look at. And it feels that we're talking about double standards here because you're allowed to see the male form in a much more realistic way on screen, I think. Yeah, more more various, more you know, many more types, if you like. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that is yeah something that we're always railing against on Girls on Film, and thank you for bringing that up. But it's interesting that you say that that's what people are focusing on with this film. What I really well, there are many things I liked about it, and I loved it. Um, but it, it's kind of about the relationship between two women, in a way, who are thrown together in very, very challenging and difficult circumstances. And who initially there's a deception or a misunderstanding because obviously um, your character is mistaken for the cleaner. So there's so much going on there. There's there's the sort of a perceived class dynamic, culture dynamic, um, religious dynamic, but also the secret that your character is keeping is that you know this woman had an affair with your husband, a long term affair with your husband. Vous êtes de l'agence Mais je n'ai jamais confirmé. Pardon, madame. Um, I'm sorry. I, um, 
I'm confused. You're here for the cleaning? Just a sec. Excusez-moi une seconde. Allô, oui? Oui, attendez, attendez, une seconde. You can do it now, since you're here, but I never confirmed. Oui? Uh, how do you feel about that relationship taking centre stage in the film and how much did you work together as actresses to bring that to life? Um, well, it, it's a classic kind of blonde brunette, skinny, tall, short, fat, you know, um, dichotomy, French-British. You know, it's it's all of those um, in, in head-on collision. Um, which is something that is, you know, that is in the, the culture, that 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 dichotomy is in the culture. And then it's sort of, uh, you don't get to catfight territory, but there's potentially that in there. Um, and we didn't really work together. I mean, it was, we were very separated in the process. Um, Natalie's English is limited, my French is limited. So we were kind of, you know, a little bit here and there. But I think one of the things that made it different is that the, the French I don't know if this is accurate, um, but I think the French way of working with directors is really different from the British way of working with directors because I think the British come out of the British acting force, if you like, come out of this um, old style, um, unionized. Um, we are the workers; they are the management. Um, so British actors tend to be very collaborative, very supportive. You know, like they'll go into a room, shut a door and start, you know, demand making or working out what the demands should be that we would need for our working conditions. Whereas I think the French uh, cinemas, uh, cinema process is very much um, director is king, direct, you know, it's actor to director that this auteur system has created a quite a different relationship. So I think that was quite interesting because I was, I stood back and I was seeing that working very well, actually, Aleem and Natalie together working very well. Um, and I felt like I was on my own because I had no other act, no other British actors really with me except for a couple of scenes. So the sense of isolation was there. Um, and I think it was it, it, that oppositional element is, I think, is in the film and I think it needs to be in the film. It's quite good. And because when the payoff for that is this moment when the two women have to accommodate each other in the truth of their, re, their real situation and rise above their more self-regarding way of doing things. Uh, I'm finished. You have a light? Thank you. And I feel like the film also tackles bias and unconscious bias in, in several ways, in, in, you know, perhaps on both sides, on both characters. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, that moment of, of being mistaken as the cleaner is a really great example of that, isn't it? I mean, and it is, as you say, exactly, you know, it, it cuts, cuts across so many different discourses there. Um, and I think that's what, that's what makes the film fresh. 
you are looking at you are looking at class. You're looking at the fact that a work, you know, the, the Muslim female workforce in Western Europe is operating quite often at a low, uh, low position in the economy. Those kinds of questions suddenly just all happen in that one moment, and the assumptions are made. It's a fantastic moment. Um, and talk to me a little bit more about how you prepared to play a Muslim character. Well, Aleem was my guide in this um, because it's it's a specific Muslim Muslim woman, and it was derived uh, as a character. Aleem de- derived it really through his own mum's situation. His mum is a convert, um, and so we talked a lot about his whole family background and how his particular the particularities of his dad coming from Pakistan at the point that he came to. Walthamstow, in fact, in the 1970s, what the 1970s were like in terms of uh, his dad's experience and his mum, who was a white working class woman, falling in love with this Pakistani, young, very young Pakistani teenage immigrant and having this teenage love affair. Um, We talked a lot about those particularities because I think one of the things that was so important for me to play this character was to get away from any headlines any headline kind of news current affairs images of islam as a religion uh islamic and muslim peoples you know all over the world and all the kinds of very um sort of circumscribed versions of those and to find an individual so I spent time with his mum. His mum taught me the brilliant recipe for sag paneer, which we um, mm. we actually cooked together. We made roti together. We did lots and lots of things. And I learnt lots, you know, it's she's a great cook and we really enjoyed all of that. Um, but I think we, uh, I felt like I needed to do a little bit on my own. So I'd spent some time in the central mosque in, um, of course, in the women's section um, in, in Regent's Park in London. And that was absolutely wonderful. I went up into the women's, did the wudu downstairs and learnt a little bit with some with some help uh, about how that all worked. Then went upstairs and, to be honest, what was going on in the women's section was a lot of people lying on this lovely carpet, this lovely thick carpet, snoozing, looking at their phones, chatting, and it felt really female and really womb-like. And if you looked over the gallery, I was looking at the men at prayer, but the women, there was prayer taking place, but it, it had a much more, if you like, enveloping and welcoming kind of feel to it. Um, so I took I took this sense of... Um, warmth actually from my from the research I was doing I mean Aline wanted me to walk around London dressed in my costume for a couple of days which I did and he said afterwards you know how was that and it was actually just you know of course nobody's going to bat any kind of eyelid about you wearing Deputa in London I mean it's just not it's just not going to be noticed um even with a you know white skin that still isn't going to to be an image of any great surprise uh, in London, but it was lovely to wear the costume because it is so comfortable. The the shower kameez is such a comfortable thing to wear. You feel like you can do anything in it. You could do the gardening in it, and you could go to a wedding in it, and uh, both ways it works. So um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a wonderful bits of you know those kinds of research that I did, and I learned a huge amount. I mean, I'm just on the tiny, tiny foothills. Obviously, I had to learn the prayers and so on as well and what they mean, um, which was 
Yeah, that was actually very beautiful. Very beautiful. Did you convert when you married? Yes. How do you feel about wearing it? How do I feel? Mm -hmm. I don't. I've worn it longer than I haven't. It must have been hard to take all that on. Back then, I did something for my husband that no one else could. Are there any specific scenes in the film that you would like to highlight that you're particularly proud of? I mean, I'm, I'm struck by how silence is a big part of this film and there's so much internalised in the characters. Are there any scenes like that that you feel are particularly impactful? Well, strangely, when I think back to shooting it, the real scenes that stay in my mind are those walking on the cliffs, um, uh, on the white cliffs of Dover. And I think maybe that was just, that is partly because it was so sensory. But also we were working with, uh, so there was the scenes with with Mary uh, Fahana as herself, alone, but there was also the scenes with um, Natalie and Talid playing. So we did, we shot them, of course, at the same day, um, but we, so that's the very beginning of the film and the very end of the film. And we had the drone. Um, so we, I, I like working with a drone because there's nobody around you and you're you're just in your character and in, in, in the environment and you can just almost, it's almost like being a child, being in the world, totally in the world of make-believe. And I, we were looking out and of course you can see Calais, um, you can see the boat crossing over and all of the, the kinds of images that are so redolent for the film. And the shot where so we walked towards the cliff face and then the drone, we had a, you know, a, a, a fuck off drone, a huge thing that would go straight out a long, long way, which is where you end up with the shot with the, that has, you know, obviously is CGI when the White Cliffs of Dover uh, collapse. Please don't worry, anybody in the White Cliffs of Dover have not collapsed. <laughs> um, and that that moment when we saw that drone go a long, long, long way out, and you're just left standing there, looking out with everything possible. That's how sort of how I feel the end of the movie and almost the beginning of the movie. But everything possible, as in we're going to hear that story, but then everything's possible, and we we don't know what that story is next going to be. Um, but it's optimistic, I felt, that end. So it's very sensory memories of being there standing on that cliff. I was very moved by that moment. So thank you for sharing that. Um, now, listen, I want to hear what else you've been up to. Um, tell me more about these sex live sketches. Oh, yes. Well, I, um, I wanted to work on um, sexuality as a discussion you know so opening up dis discussion of sexuality i mean this i'm not alone in this <laughs> as you know <laughs> there's many people who want to to do that and i think um the first stage was to buy the rights to a book called sex lives of english women by wendy jones where she did a kind of survey of um as many people as she could collar at the time and and ask them some history about their sexual history their sexual uh, interests and so on um so we bought that book and then together with Alex Roach and Jenny Duffy who are two wonderful um brains um we sort of created a few sketches for Instagram just because it was lockdown and it 
they they're very good with Instagram. I don't even have an Instagram account. I'm ashamed to say, but but for my own mental health, I've made that choice. Um, <laughs> but they were very clever at being able to kind of think. Well, we can do these little sketches. Come on, I'm alive, baby. I'm just so happy for you. Sex is good, man. It's like food. I felt like I'm 54, but now I feel like woohoo. So that is going to, I hope, develop into a longer piece where we try to look at... It, it's Sexuality is a strange thing because obviously... I mean, the conversation around sexuality is a strange thing because you can either... You can look at it through different ways. So there's obviously identity is one um, and demographics, but there's also in the individual um, and the ways to, it, to which you have the extent to which you have access to that individual sexual self is is quite hard to um process because there are so many levels of shame mm -hmm. and 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 what becomes acceptable now as in it's okay to be xyz now um is may also be masking other levels of shame which are not currently acceptable even when it seems very hip and woken right on or whatever you know that there's other levels and I'm very interested I suppose in shame and in how sexual shame um defines life defines decisions that you make um is a psychological burden um and is a cultural burden um and that's something that I feel if we could work through our shame then collective and individual, then I do believe that we would have happier lives. I mean, it's quite a simple premise. And that that's the idea of starting that conversation is inviting people to to kind of have have their own thoughts about what it is that they feel defines them in terms of their sexuality. I'm walking down the road and someone says behind me, oh, um, excuse me, do you mind if I tell you that you look really nice? I turn around, he's tall, he's broad shoulders, he's got the most beautiful voice. And I swear to God, he must, this is what my face must look like. <laughs> he makes some joke about something, it makes me laugh. So then like, he took my number, which is so unlike me. And like, he's just turned out to be amazing. I felt like I'm 54, but now I feel like, woohoo! Anyway, let me get myself beautiful. That sounds fantastic. I hope you do more with it. And I hope we can do a special episode on that and you can come back on Girls on Film. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, thanks so much for joining us to talk about After Love. My final question is, what's the name of your lovely dog that we just heard in the background? I'm so sorry. Well, that's... <laughs> no, I love dogs. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> She's called Millie. She is Millie. Um, 11. Uh, in fact, my husband and I were just discussing, having a small, minor argument about how old she is this morning because she, she's a rescue dog. So we think she's... 11 10 coming on 11 or 11 coming on 12 I can't quite work it out but um yeah and she came from Battersea Cats and Dogs Home um when she was one just about one um she's a stuffy well I love her very much oh lovely well, I have a Battersea cat so we're in good company yes oh. Ozymandias he nearly made a noise then but I think we were spared please don't let them meet <laughs> no 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 I don't think they should ever meet no they, no they must never meet <laughs> only on zoom only on zoom <laughs> well Jana thank you so much and best of luck with After Love because it really is an incredible film um, thank you so much for joining Girls on Films to talk about it thank you Anna it's lovely to talk to you cannot go to. What's wrong with these? I'm a dozen them. 
did you convert when you married? Back then, I did something for my husband that no one else could. Ahmed and I, we are, we are not married. He has a wife in the UK. How can you share knowingly? We all break the rules we set for ourselves. I need you to listen. Why did you come here? Where is Ahmed? Who are you? That was Joanna Scanlon. After Love is released in UK and Irish cinemas on the 4th of June 2021. Thank you for listening to Girls on Film, which is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer and assistant producer Eliana J, assistant producer Heather Dempsey, and our principal partner Peter Brewer. Happy birthday, Pete, by the way. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. Meantime, stay safe. I need you to listen.